Now, this is not the most important question that anybody's going to ask you in church anytime or even today, but I do have a question for you. I want you to look at this image and tell me, what do you see? What do you see here? This, this is not the dress, you know, where you're trying to figure out the color, but this is an ambiguous image that has taken some corners of the internet by storm. It's one of those rabbit holes where people discuss and argue about what they actually see in this image. Now, when I saw it on the internet, you were supposed to see either a fish or a mermaid. But I don't see that at all. I mean, that is not what I see. And it's supposed to tell you something about yourself like by what you see in this image. And, and a lot of people, they either see a seal or a donkey, okay? So I, I want to do a quick, sci very scientific poll and see where we're at. Does anybody see a fish or a mermaid? I want to see, does anybody? We had a, okay, there, yeah, if, if that's what you see, be brave. You know, there, there's a couple a couple see a fish or a mermaid. There were a few more in the first service, so you're in good company. Now, does anybody see a seal when you look? Okay, that's a lot of seals. Okay, okay, now here's the big question. Who sees a donkey? When, yeah, that's, you're right, because that's what I see too. That's, I see a donkey there, so right answer. Now, the bad news is I'm not sure what that says about you and me, that we see a donkey in that picture. <laughs> I didn't call you a name, okay? You did that yourself. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, if that's what you saw, it's supposed to tell you something about yourself. So there it is. When people look at Jesus today, when people looked at Jesus in his day, during his life on earth, different people saw different things. They saw in him different qualities and characteristics, and then they discussed that, just like people do today. Some people, they saw in Jesus a potential ruler who would come and give victory to God's people, the Jewish people, drive out their oppressor enemy, the Romans, and kill them all and set up a kingdom. Some people, when they look at Jesus, even today, they see a great teacher, one of the great philosophers and teachers of all time and of all the ages. Some people, when they look at Jesus, they see something even more, and, and they see one of the greatest human beings, maybe the highest example of what humanity can become. They see a great moral example. Some people, looking at Jesus, they see a critic, a social critic of his dominant culture, of the culture and the time that he lived in, and he was willing and able to tell the truth to anybody who would listen. Through the eyes of faith, when we look at Jesus, we see God who became man, who took humanity on himself in order to heal our broken relationship with God through his life and death and resurrection. When we look at Jesus, we are not looking at a blank slate, an empty canvas, or an ambiguous image where we get to decide what that picture and what that image is all about because Jesus himself 
He presented himself in a very specific and unique way. He made an argument through his words and teachings and through every step he took in his life about who he was and about what his life was all about. It's not up to us like art critics to decide who he is and what he's about because he intentionally told us who he is and what his mission in life was, was for and why he lived and why he taught and why he did all the different things that he did. We don't get to judge who he is because he's already told us and presented to us exactly who he is. And today we're looking at a story where Jesus, by every action he took, by everything he said, by everything he did, he was clearly presenting to anyone with eyes to see and with ears to hear who he was and what he was all about, his character and his mission. And it's for us then to either accept or reject his presentation and who he is claiming to be who he was claiming to be in that specific time and for all time. It's not for us to decide who he was. It's for us to decide what we're going to do about his own presentation of himself and his character. If you have your Bible with you or, or an app that you can open up here in this room or, or you're watching at home, then find your way to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel about Jesus. The easiest way to find it, if you're not sure, is to look in the table of contents and then find your way to chapter 21 in Matthew. The story that we're going to look at is called the triumphal entry. It's what happened on Palm Sunday, the Sunday that opened up the final week of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. A week before he would raise up from the dead on Easter Sunday that we'll celebrate next week. So we'll look at this story that begins at the beginning of Matthew chapter 21 and read the first 11 verses. Uh, you'll want to reference this story as we talk, so I hope you find it in your own Bible or in an app. And you can also follow along on the screens as I read this story. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1 from the New Living Translation. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, two of those disciples, on ahead. Now go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. 
Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I wish I could take every one of you with me to Jerusalem. There's no other city like it in all of the world. And just over two years ago, I was there with some of you. I see some of you who were with me. And we took a trip to Israel. And at the end of that trip, we retraced some of Jesus' steps, the actions that he took, the places he was at, what he experienced during the final week of his life. And we started right here. We started on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus began this final week. And and we retraced and, and followed him as we remembered what he had done. So I can't take you to Jerusalem, but, but I want you to see a couple of the photos that I took while I was there. This is the view from the, near the top of the Mount of Olives, the modern city of Jerusalem. And you can see here is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock. Right there is where the temple would have been standing during Jesus' day. And as he crested the Mount of Olives, he would have seen the city. And the temple was rising up like that like that dome that rises up today and dominating the scene. Just behind the eastern gate, this is the eastern gate into the city. It's blocked up now, but it would have been open in Christ's day, and it was beautiful. It was decorated in gold to match the temple. Herod had made it something so that it was called the beautiful gate that would take people straight into the temple. And you can see the, the, the old city walls there. And now, just outside of this, this gate... Right up against the wall, there's a cemetery that's all along that wall and that blocks up that eastern gate. And the Kidron Valley, it's a deep rift that separates the mountain from the city. And then near us on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, there's this other huge graveyard that's right there. And I want you to see the road we walked down as we descended from the Mount of Olives. This is the, it's kind of a narrow road, a path that we took on the left side of this stone wall, uh, that's the, the cemetery that was near us in the previous photo. On the other side, there's a garden, a grove of olive trees, where, if you remember the story of the Passion Week and Jesus' final week, that's where he went to pray with his disciples and, and where he was betrayed and arrested, the Garden of Gethsemane, just on the other side of the wall. And this narrow road, we followed it all the way down into the Kidron Valley and then walked up to enter Jerusalem as we retraced Jesus' steps. Now, the city looked different in Jesus' day, but the, the topography, that mountain was there. The mountain, the garden... There was even a cemetery that was down in the Kidron Valley. It wasn't as large as that one that's coming up the slopes of the Mount of Olives, but there was a small cemetery in the Kidron Valley where God's people had been burying their dead for centuries before Jesus walked or rode down that road on a donkey. And as Jesus would have come up over that Mount of Olives on the donkey, that mountainside would have been covered with people because people 
probably about two-thirds of the population of all Judea and Galilee had descended on Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, the feast of the Passover. And so uh, the city was bursting with people. And Jesus was coming over that mountain and he saw the city and he was riding on this donkey. And there were people who were living in tents and shelters temporarily for the Passover week to celebrate that most holy week. And then they began to crowd around Jesus. They, they knew who he was and they picked up a song from the book of Psalms and they chanted it and they grabbed branches that they used in worship that they would beat rhythmically to the chants and to the songs they would sing. And they, they waved those branches in time like percussion instruments. And they took off their coats and they spread them on the ground to make a road like they would for royalty as a king. And Jesus prepared to enter that city knowing what the next week would look like, understanding that his life was drawing to an end and even believing and knowing what was waiting for him beyond death. He saw it all. And he intentionally took action and spoke words that inform us about who he is, that remind us he's not a blank slate for us to decide what he's all about and what his character is. He's telling us by every action that he takes in the story that we read and through the entire final week of his life. So today we want to pull out, make a few observations about this story from Palm Sunday with Jesus entering the city and identify what Jesus is teaching us about his own character as he takes on three vital roles. The role of prophet and priest and king. And what that means for us today, not just what it meant for them, but the difference that makes in our lives today. So first, we want to consider Jesus as the prophet who always tells you the truth, who is always speaking the truth to us. Jesus is that prophet. Now, when you are in a discussion, you're, you're, you're having a fight, you're disagreeing with somebody else. Now, try to remember the last time you did that. I know for some of you that's going to be so difficult because you get along with everybody. But try to remember the last time you were having a discussion and there was a different point of view. Do you work harder at understanding or at being understood? When you're having that discussion and conversation, is it more important to you that that other person understands your point of view and how you see things and what your experience is, or are you working harder at trying to understand what it is to be in their shoes and to see life from their perspective and to see where they are coming from? It's a key difference between being understood and trying to understand. This story in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew tells us it's the fulfillment of a prophecy. There was a prophet named Zechariah and 500 years, almost 500 years before Jesus entered the city, Zechariah looked ahead and he said, Israel, Israel, look for your king. He's coming to you. Not how you expect. He's humble and riding on a donkey. 
It's in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, if you'd like to go back and read that context. And Matthew is very consciously letting us know that Jesus was intentionally fulfilling that prophecy. He knew the prophetic words of Zechariah, and he was proclaiming to anybody with eyes to see and discern and ears to hear and to listen, I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the prophet. I'm the one who is telling you the truth. Please pay attention. Now, this event is so important that every gospel writer records Jesus' entry into the city, but they tell it in slightly different ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell this story, and Luke includes some details that the other writers leave out. In Luke chapter 19, at the end of that chapter, Luke lets us know that while the crowd was celebrating Jesus, not everybody was happy. There was opposition rising against him, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew by taking this action, his opponents would start coming together, and they, they did, sure enough. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, as Jesus was riding that donkey and the people are chanting these songs of praise, they said, Jesus, how can you let this happen? Tell the people to be quiet. They need to simmer down just a little bit. They shouldn't be singing these songs and using these words. And Jesus responded by insulting those leaders. He said, don't you understand what's happening here? If they were quiet, the rocks would cry out in songs of praise. He was calling these leaders. He was saying, you're dumb as a rock. You want them to be quiet but if they were quiet, all creation would start chanting the same song. Can't you see what's happening here? And then Luke tells us a little bit more about Jesus' mood. While he's in the middle of this crowd that's pressing in and waving branches and singing this song of praise, Jesus' mood is different. At some point on this journey, he stops and he weeps. And he takes on the voice of a prophet because he sees something in Jerusalem that no one else sees. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, how I wish that even today you would understand how the way of peace is open to you, but you wouldn't hear it. And now I see, I see armies surrounding the walls of Jerusalem and pressing in and then tearing this city apart, ripping every stone from every other stone and ripping up the people who live here in just the same way. Oh, how I wish you could understand the way to peace. It's right here in front of you, but you can't see it. I'm telling you the truth. So do you, when you're in a, an argument or maybe even when you're in a little bit of a discussion with God about your life, is it more important for you to be understood or to try to understand, to hear and respond to the truth even when it's inconvenient? Jesus said, Jerusalem, the the way to peace, you city of peace, city of Salem, the way to peace is right in front of you if only you could understand it. Jesus is always telling us the truth 
about ourselves, about our world, if we can hear him. He speaks to us in his word that he's given us as a testimony to himself. He speaks to us through his people, God's people. Is it more important? Sometimes to me, it feels a little more important that I try to get God to understand my point of view and what I need to happen more than it is for me to listen and understand the path that he's put in front of me. But Jesus, he's the prophet who always tells us the truth, the one person who always will. He's also, secondly, he's the priest. Think about Jesus and take a close look at Jesus, the priest who makes the common sacred, who takes regular ordinary things and turns them into holy things takes regular ordinary moments in life and transforms them into sacred moments that fit his purpose and his plan. Jesus wasn't the only one traveling on this road into Jerusalem on that particular day. We know the day. It was the Sunday of Passover week. And on Sunday, preparing for the Passover to come later in the week, this was the day that families selected a lamb who would be their lamb for the Passover sacrifice and celebration and meal that they would enjoy. And so filling the streets that were heading into Jerusalem, either sometime before Jesus was traveling or or sometime just after or maybe at the very same time, those roads were clogged. They were already in an uproar because shepherds were bringing very specific flocks of sheep that had been raised for this purpose. They were spotless, beautiful lambs that had prepared their whole life to be offered as a sacrifice in celebration of the Passover. And families would enter the city and they would fill the temple courts and and the area outside of the temple and they would find their lamb and they would purchase the lamb who would be their offering. This is the highest, holiest week in the lives of of the ancient Jewish people and for Jewish people today. Uh, They'll celebrate the Passover later this week, beginning April 15th. And that's a moment where God's chosen people will remember how God took their ancient ancestors who had been slaves in Egypt and he brought them out with great power and gave them freedom. And he brought them to a new land that he promised them and gave them victory in the land that became their own. And in the Passover, they remember how God preserved their life and passed over them while taking the life of the firstborn in Egypt. Exodus tells that whole story. And on that day, when families were selecting and choosing a lamb to be offered, Jesus was reminding everyone, I am the lamb of God who's taking away all the sins of the world not just the sins of one family or of one people. I am opening the way of peace to all people. I am the one who's been chosen and selected by God himself to be a sacrifice for the entire human family. And on that day, Jesus chose a donkey, a young colt, And he sent disciples on ahead to this identified owner of these animals and called them to himself. And he chose this 
common beast of burden to carry him into Jerusalem as he presented himself as the chosen one of God. And what's even more remarkable, I think, than that is that our Lord is still choosing people like you and me to carry his presence into this world today and into the lives of other people to be a demonstration of his character. And sometimes in our lives, there are events and experiences that you and I would never choose for ourselves, but God chooses them. He allows them to become part of our story, and then he remakes them so that we can become carriers of his good news, so that we can relay to other people the comfort and peace that we have received. He's the high priest who's offering himself as the one selected by God, but who is also choosing things that are common, (laughs) just a bunch of donkeys, to carry his presence and good news into our world. He's making the common parts of our life sacred. There's no other priest like him. Consider Jesus He's the prophet who's always telling us the truth. He's the priest who makes the common sacred. He walked in, he rode into Jerusalem on a common donkey, beast of burden. And then third, consider Jesus as the king who saves. This is the central message of Matthew chapter 21 of Palm Sunday, of the way that Jesus enters the city. He's reminding everyone that he is the king and that he's come to save Now, remember that picture of modern-day Jerusalem? Did anything seem like it didn't fit to you? Like, Like, if you were trying to pick out, you know, what does not make sense in this image, what I would pick out are those graveyards. Like, that's That's weird. And being there on the Mount of Olives and looking into the city, I did not really anticipate that. You know, looking to the gates, the old walls of Jerusalem and seeing gravestones and a cemetery right outside the entrance and and being on the Mount of Olives and seeing this slope of the mountain that's just covered in tombstones. It's, It's the largest Jewish graveyard in the whole world. It's there on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. The reason for that graveyard that was close in the photo on the Mount of Olives, it's because Jewish people are still anticipating and looking forward to a time when Messiah will come on earth when he will be present to set up his kingdom. And they expect him to come down from the Mount of Olives and enter the city from that eastern gate on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And so they want to be buried close to where that happens so that when Messiah comes to set up his kingdom, they're first in line, that they'll be resurrected from the dead to see it happen, and they will be there to receive a special blessing. That's why that cemetery is there on the Mount of Olives on the opposite side of the Kidron Valley. But the cemetery that's up against the walls, there's a different story behind that. When Israel was taken violently by their enemies, their enemies knew that prophecy. They knew about the expectation of a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah who would come and reign and set up a kingdom and that he would come down the Mount of Olives and he would, he would open up those gates on the eastern side and enter the city. And so they came up with a plan to prevent that from happening. They buried their dead right up against that eastern entrance, the beautiful gate. 
they blocked up. And in fact, today, that, that wall, that entrance is bricked over. And there's this massive old graveyard that's all along the city wall. Because for a, a Jewish person, being in contact with a dead person makes them ceremonially unclean. Being in a graveyard makes them unclean. And so their enemies imagined that if they put a graveyard in front of this gate, then their Messiah will never be able to fulfill this prophecy. We'll keep them out. Today, we live in a whole world full of graveyards. This past week, I read a story. The headline really caught my attention. It said, every kindergarten, a graveyard. It was about what's been happening in the Ukraine, the atrocities there that have been carried out against those people, the terrible loss of life. And in some of those Ukrainian cities where they've had to try to bury their dead as quickly as possible, they found that the soil in playgrounds was very loose, and it was easier to dig up that dirt than in other places, and so they turned playgrounds into graveyards to try to bury their dead quickly. I even, in that story, they told about people who were digging graves and then were hit by shells and lost their life. So they, they're trying to take care of their dead as quickly as possible, and that loose soil in places children used to play has become a graveyard. That's what we often make of our world. Our earth is way too full of graveyards. You and I, we even carry some of those graveyards around with us on the inside. Places nobody else can see, very few know about where we can't shake off the stench of death. It follows us around. We carry it in our broken and empty hearts. Jesus wasn't the first Jewish king to enter Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives riding on a donkey. His ancient ancestor, David, when David was overthrown by his son, Absalom, uh, Absalom led a rebellion, a revolt, and forcibly overthrew the kingdom of his father David, and David had to run for his life, and a servant brought David and his family donkeys to ride on as they tried to escape Absalom because they were afraid Absalom would, would kill his own father and the rest of his family to secure his throne. And there was a terrible civil war. More graves were dug. But eventually, David's armies won. And, and although David had ordered his troops not to harm his son Absalom above anything else to preserve his life, Absalom was killed in the fighting. David was heartbroken. But he was recalled back to Jerusalem to take his throne. And he rode on a donkey, a borrowed donkey that a servant brought to him to help him escape to flee, to run away. He came back to the city on that donkey, not a war horse, as a sign of peace to all the rebels. I'm not here to fight. 
I'm here to make peace. And then when David was about to die and he wanted to solidify his son Solomon's position on the throne, he sent his donkey to Solomon and had his servants put Solomon on the donkey for him to ride and proclaim that Solomon would be king. He would be a peaceful king. When Jesus rode into this city, Jerusalem, he took a young colt that had never been ridden before. And because he was compassionate and wise, he also brought that young colt's mother along with him so that that colt wouldn't be spooked. And they rode together, the, the, the mother of this young beast of burden, so that as the crowd pressed in and chanted, he wouldn't start kicking or he wouldn't become frightened because Jesus himself is meek. Not dominating, but humble. And the people around Jesus, they took up a song and a chant. When they would come to worship at these great festivals, they would sing the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. David's songs. Songs from Jesus' great ancestor David. And these people on this day, they sang the end of Psalm 118. The last few verses. And they cried out, Hosanna. Save us. Save now. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. Save us now. They waved their branches and they continued their chant. And I don't know exactly what graveyard you carry around with you, but I know we all have them. And they exist in our world today. And there is only one who turns graveyards into gardens. There's only one who can change mourning into dancing, who can bring a blessing out of a curse. There's only one who offers life after death. Save us now. So my call to you If you've been on the fence about who Jesus is and what his life meant, he told us he's the king over all who came to save. Through his life, through his death, his sacrificial death and his resurrection, we can can find the key that unlocks new life and forgiveness that transforms our death into eternal life. So believe him. Trust in Jesus. Put all your faith and confidence in his finished work to give you that new life. Talk to someone that that you came to church with today or to me or to someone else after the church if you need help or just talk to the Lord right now and let him know you're believing him. And for every one of us, we still carry around those tombs in our soul. Keep believing and trusting in Jesus because he's the one who turns those graveyards into gardens. That graveyard outside the Eastern Gate will be nothing to hold him back. Those gates will open up when he calls them to open. No matter how long I looked at that picture, that ambiguous image, I never can see a fish or a mermaid. I see a donkey. Now, if I look really hard, I can see how one might see a seal. When we look at Jesus, we don't get to decide who he is and what he's about because he's already told us. He's the prophet who always tells us the truth. 
He's the priest who offered himself as a sacrifice and who selects us to carry his message of peace to the world. He's our king, the only one who saves. So here's what I want you to do this week. Would you set aside time this week to carefully consider Jesus, who he is and what he's done? In the study guide that's part of this sermon, we've included a Bible reading plan that will guide you through specific events and experiences during the last week of Jesus' life. So I want you to visit our homepage, gfcnow.com, and on that homepage, just click the Watch Online button. If you're already watching online, you're ahead of everybody else in the room. You click the Watch Online button, it takes you to a video of the service, and there's a little button underneath for a study guide. Click on that button and download the study guide, and this week, follow along with a reading plan that will help you journey with Jesus and walk with him through some of the events during the last week of his life on earth. This will help you prepare your heart to celebrate Easter next Sunday. And if, if you are a family with children, younger children, elementary age children, maybe you have no kids, but you're really young at heart, we have a special experience that you can be part of, an at-home journey with Jesus where, where you can be part with your child or grandchild of a series of activities that help bring some of those events to life for them. So if you want to be a part of that at-home journey with Jesus and you haven't signed up yet, just go down to the children's check-in area and let one of the volunteers know, and they'll help you get started. Because the faith of our children and families, that's, that's important around here. However you do it, I I encourage you to make time this week to carefully consider Jesus as we anticipate celebrating the resurrection next Sunday. Now, just a few days after Jesus entered Jerusalem in this final week of his life, he sat down with his disciples in an upper room in the corner of the city, and they celebrated the Passover meal together. And then Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's table or communion, where they took bread and a cup. And Jesus used that as a picture to let the disciples know what he was about to do as his body would be broken and offered on the cross and as his blood would would be poured out as a sacrifice. And now we celebrate at the Lord's table as a memorial to his sacrifice, to his death for us. And that's how we'll close our service today. So if you didn't pick up one of the packets with the wafer and the juice, you can pick one up at the back of the seats here on the floor. I'm going to pray, and then you can feel free to get up after that and pick up one of those packets. We'll listen to a song to help us reflect on the meaning of Christ's death for us, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Lord Jesus, we join that song, praise and blessings on the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. All glory we give over to you because your blood is applied to our hearts. You showed us exactly who you are. 
you didn't allow us any room to create our own picture, our own image. We know who you are. And so help us to accept that and to always be moving toward you in faith. And Lord, we ask you to keep doing the work that only you do to change our graves into those gardens. You're the only one who can. Today we're thanking you, Lord, for entering into this broken world and becoming broken for us. We thank you for your faithfulness that cost you your life. We thank you for your compassion that led you to offer yourself as the spotless, perfect Lamb of God that takes away our sins. We thank you for your faithful love that doesn't let us go, that pursues us down every dark alley and side road and lost highway we travel on. We thank you, Lord, for your blood poured out for us.